Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, You're listening, of course, to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando, and so glad that you're with us. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're safe. Hope you're healthy. Um, Let me explain what's going on here. Uh, Alan Dempsey is back. He is our engineer. Uh, We've been waiting three months to get Alan back in the loop, but he's here. And uh, Andrew Hurtlisk is our producer. And Blythe McIntosh, great name. Oh, my. She's our first guest. She's in Colorado Springs. Her book is called Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. Uh, after that uh, flowery introduction, Blythe, uh, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to be on with you today, Pat. Uh, why did you write this book? You know, we really wanted to, my mom and I wrote this together, and we really wanted to um, encourage women who have had a difficult relationship with their daughter or with their mom um, to, to be able to gain a better relationship with their mother or daughter. And especially in these times that we're in, Pat, where relationships are strained. I mean, we see this being played out in our culture. There's broken relationships, broken dreams. And we wanted to be a voice of hope and encouragement that out of difficult relationships, that there can be restoration. And it's very biblical. God established this in Isaiah, uh, where uh, generations were brought back together. And God God told families that uh, this is my plan for you. And so uh, we just want to bring that to the forefront through this book, Mended. You open your book with a chapter called, I See You, You See Me, The Layering of Us. Uh, explain that to us. You know, what this chapter is about is um, I see you, you see me, the layering is really about finding common ground between you and your mother or your and celebrating it. Um, One of the things that um, we're doing when we do that is just we're, we're meeting on neutral territory. There may have been difficult, you know, paths between you, but meeting in this place of common ground really helps put the other person first and acknowledge what's between you. Um, And so we do that really by three ways. It's learning to put the relationship above the different interests, or maybe you have varying interests or opinions and beliefs. And so, first of all, you want to um, invest in your relationship with God. That's primary. And then this is the second part would be pray for your mom or your daughter. Um, Because sometimes the thing that blocks us from each other is just a wall where prayer can break that down. Um, And then the third part of this is to plan something, you know, for you, uh, your mother or your daughter that doesn't require more of you than you can offer. You know, for instance, we sometimes think, I've got to just do this big outing with my mom or my daughter to get back into good communication again, and that feels heavy for a lot of people. Um, But, you know, something even as small as texting a prayer or just, you know, a, a message of, I'm thinking about you, just something that you know that would be something that you can do and that would not, um, be, you know, it would be received well, hopefully, um, but would not be just putting yourself out there more than you think that you can do. So um, it's really focusing on looking up at God at what he's doing in your relationship and investing in your relationship. And so I just would invite those listeners to think, what does the common ground look like between me and my mother or my daughter? Blythe McIntosh is our guest. Blythe, the second topic, being right or being closer, relationship above differences, uh, we want to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's often seen in relationships between mothers and daughters, which is what we're specifically think, talking about in this book, Mended, but also fathers and sons, um, you know, those close relationships of origin. It often seems like we want to be right instead of gaining a closer relationship with each other. And so really putting the relationship ahead of your differences is how you maintain the relationship that you have or build the one that you want to have and Often we let our differences of opinions get in the way of our relationships. Um, And so what this really practically looks like is releasing your need to be right so that you can reconnect, you know, to your mother or daughter, to your father or your son. Um, The second piece of this is that you're really doing the the best you can with what you have. You know, often relationships are 
in the family line, it can be difficult where uh, there's been brokenness in the past, and so you've inherited that in your relationship. And, you know, not all relationships are, are perfect. We know that. And so it's really doing the best with what you, with what you have. Um, and then the third piece is just seeing that the overall relationship is more important you know, than what's in front of you, a difference of opinion. The relationship is more important than who's right. And, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons I think about this this chapter is that um, speaking up and humbling yourself and letting the relationship have a greater place uh, than being right. And we, a lot of the things that we've done in this book pad is just to illustrate it through conversation starters. And one of the conversation starters, we probably have dozens of these um, for for. An example for this particular chapter is, you know, what I want is a good relationship, and you're more important to me than this problem or this difference of opinion between us. So you can see that we're not asking families to do something drastic. We're just asking um, and encouraging those readers to take a step in the direction of moving closer towards each other and valuing the relationship over being right. Let's move to the next topic, Blythe. Saying what, when, words to love and live by. You know, um, mothers and daughters sometimes don't know what to say to each other because of hurt feelings. Or, you know, just the time or the space uh, or something even more serious between you. And so my mom and I have have practically lived this out. Um, She grew up in an alcoholic home and had words spoken over her that were, you know, very hurtful and she felt rejected. And so in her quest to mother me well, she knew that she wanted to give me words that would be life-giving. And and so the same with me, with my daughters. And so sometimes we don't know what to say to one another when there's been hurt or friction between you. Um, But actually saying things like, I don't know what to say, actually loosens the grip on that need to be right or to have all the answers um, and just admitting that there's a problem and you don't know what to do about it. Um, an example of this is just to be able to say, you know, Mom, I want us to do well. We've, we've hit a hard place again, and I'm not sure what to say, um, but, it, but it's helpful to get that out. And then that allows you to be able to move further into your relationship once you've looked at the past and, and said, you know, this is where we are and what do, we, what do you think we need to do um, to make things better. And so it's important for people to look at their story, for, to look at the story of your life and your relationships. And, um, you know, for instance, you could even say, I, I don't know what to do in this difficulty. What role do you see me playing when you're addressing your mom or your daughter or even a father or a son. Um, and even in these times right now when there's a lot of difficulty in our society um, and people don't know where they stand with each other or they're walking through something really hard, it's to be able to even say, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're walking through. I don't know what to say, but I, I hurt with you. Um, how do you see me helping you? So part of being wise is knowing when to speak. And um, our job is to initiate conversation and we can't force ourselves on each other, but we can sure offer. And so that's really what this chapter is about is that, um, you know, we want to make sure that our need to talk isn't more important than the mother or daughter's need to hear it. So this uh, timing is everything. <laughs> yeah. And then you move to part four, Blythe. It's my part responsibly reacting. Uh, explain that to us. Yeah. You know, um, we're only responsible for our part in the relationship. We're not responsible for the other person or their responses to us. Um, you know, so, so we want to take responsibility for our words and allow a mother or a daughter or another family member to take responsible responsibility for, for theirs. It's easy to say, you know, someone else should have done something, but how often do we look at what, you know, we say that, you know, we're not taking responsibilities for our actions. And so, some of the most healing words a mother or a daughter can say to one another are, you know, I am sorry. It was my fault. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And, you know, there's, there are always reasons for our choices, but a climate of excuses doesn't really communicate the maturity that we need to be able to move closer towards each other. So um, I think really this part is just to say, you know, how do you move closer towards the other person even if you don't get the response? you were hoping for because you're taking responsibility for your thoughts and actions. And we, we want to let go of expectations that the other person will move towards us and 
uh, expectations are really killers of relationship. They they destroy relationships. So we want to loosen our expectations so that we don't have them hanging over our mother or our daughter. Um, and that's just a difficult climate, you know, for a relationship to thrive in. And so um, we, you know, we, we have an example of an imaginary boundary line where, you know, this is, this is my part and this is your part, and you may not like the choices that your mother or daughter or other family member makes, but it's still theirs to Blythe McIntosh, our guest, the book Mended. We have another segment with Blythe right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. A great name. Oh, my. She's our first guest. She's in Colorado Springs. Her book is called Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. Uh, after that uh, flowery introduction, Blythe, uh, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to be on with you today, Pat. Uh, why did you write this book? You know, we really wanted to, my mom and I wrote this together, and we really wanted to um, encourage women who have had a difficult relationship with their daughter or with their mom um, to, to be able to gain a better relationship with their mother or daughter, and especially in these times that we're in, Pat, where relationships are strained. I mean, we see this being played out in our culture. There's broken relationships, broken dreams, and we wanted to be a voice of hope and encouragement that out of difficult relationships that there can be restoration, and it's very biblical. God established this in Isaiah uh, where uh, generations were brought back together, and God God told families that uh, this is my plan for you, and so uh, we just want to bring that to the forefront through this book, Mended. You open your book with a chapter called, I See You, You See Me, The Layering of Us. Uh, Explain that to us. You know, what this chapter is about is, um, I see you, you see me, the layering is really about finding common ground between you and your mother or your, and celebrating it. Um, One of the things that um, we're doing when we do that is just, we're, we're meeting on neutral territory. There may have been difficult, you know, paths between you, but meeting in this place of common ground really helps put the other person first and acknowledge what's between you. Um, and so we do that really by three ways. It's learning to put the relationship above the different interests, or maybe you have varying interests or opinions and beliefs. And so, first of all, you want to um, invest in your relationship with God. That's primary. And then this is the second part would be pray for your mom or your daughter, um, because sometimes the thing that blocks us from each other is just a wall where prayer can break that down. Um, and then the third part of this is to plan something, you know, for you, uh, your mother or your daughter that doesn't require more of you than you can offer. You know, for instance, we sometimes think, I've got to just do this big outing with my mom or my daughter to get back into good communication again. And that feels heavy for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, something even as small as texting a prayer or just, you know, a, a message of I'm thinking about you, just something that you know that would be something that you can do and that would not um, be, you know, it would be received well, hopefully, um, but would not be just putting yourself out there more than you think that you can do. So um, it's really focusing on looking up at God at what he's doing in your relationship and investing in your relationship. And so I just would invite those listeners to think, what does the common ground look like between me and my mother or my daughter? Blythe McIntosh is our guest. Blythe, the second topic, being right or being closer, relationship above differences. Uh, we want to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's often seen in relationships between mothers and daughters, which is what we're specifically think, talking about in this book, Mended, but also fathers and sons, um, you know, those close relationships of origin. It often seems like we want to be right instead of gaining a closer relationship with each other. And so really putting the relationship ahead of your differences is how you maintain the relationship that you have or build the one that you want to have and Often we let our differences of opinions get in the way of our relationships. Um, and so what this really practically looks like is releasing your need to be right so that you can reconnect, you know, to your mother or daughter, to your father or your son. Um, the second piece of this is that you're really doing the pe- the best you can with what you have. You know, often relationships are 
in the family line it can be difficult where uh, there's been brokenness in the past and so you've inherited that in your relationship and you know not all relationships are are perfect we know that and so it's really doing the best with what you with what you have um, and then the third piece is just seeing that the overall relationship is more important you know, than what's in front of you, a difference of opinion. The relationship is more important than who's right. And, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons I think about this this chapter is that um, speaking up and humbling yourself and letting the relationship have a greater place uh, than being right. And we, a lot of the things that we've done in this book pad is just to illustrate it through conversation starters. And one of the conversation starters, we probably have dozens of these um, for t- for. An example for this particular chapter is, you know, what I want is a good relationship, and you're more important to me than this problem or this difference of opinion between us. So you can see that we're not asking families to do something drastic. We're just asking um, and encouraging those readers to take a step in the direction of moving closer towards each other and valuing the relationship over being right. Let's move to the next topic, Blythe. Saying what, when, words to love and live by. You know, um, mothers and daughters sometimes don't know what to say to each other because of hurt feelings. Or, you know, just the time or the space or something even more serious between you. And so my mom and I have have practically lived this out. Um, She grew up in an alcoholic home and had words spoken over her that were, you know, very hurtful and she felt rejected. And so in her quest to mother me well, she knew that she wanted to give me words that would be life-giving. And and so the same with me, with my daughters. And so sometimes we don't know what to say to one another when there's been hurt or friction between you. Um, But actually saying things like, I don't know what to say, actually loosens the grip on that need to be right or to have all the answers um, and just admitting that there's a problem and you don't know what to do about it. Um, an example of this is just to be able to say, you know, Mom, I want us to do well. We've, we've hit a hard place again, and I'm not sure what to say, um, but, it, but it's helpful to get that out. And then that allows you to be able to move further into your relationship once you've looked at the past and, and said, you know, this is where we are and what do, we, what do you think we need to do um, to make things better. And so it's important for people to look at their story, for, to look at the story of your life and your relationships. And, um, you know, for instance, you could even say, I, I don't know what to do in this difficulty. What role do you see me playing when you're addressing your mom or your daughter or even a father or a son? Um, and even in these times right now when there's a lot of difficulty in our society um, and people don't know where they stand with each other or they're walking through something really hard, it's to be able to even say, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're walking through. I don't know what to say, but I, I hurt with you. Um, how do you see me helping you? So part of being wise is knowing when to speak. And um, our job is to initiate conversation. And we can't force ourselves on each other, but we can sure offer. And so that's really what this chapter is about is that, um, you know, we want to make sure that our need to talk isn't more important than the mother or daughter's need to hear it. So this uh, timing is everything. Yeah. And then you move to part four, Blythe. It's my part responsibly reacting. Uh, explain that to us. Yeah, you know, um, we're only responsible for our part in the relationship. We're not responsible for the other person or their responses to us. Um, you know, so so we want to take responsibility for our words and allow a mother or a daughter or another family member to take responsible responsibility for for theirs. It's easy to say, you know, someone else should have done something, but how often do we look at what you know we say that you know we're not taking responsibilities for our actions? And so, some of the most healing words a mother or a daughter can say to one another are, you know, I am sorry, it was my fault, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And, you know, there's, there are always reasons for our choices, but a climate of excuses doesn't really communicate the maturity that we need to be able to move closer towards each other. So um, I think really this part is just to say, you know, how do you move closer towards the other person, even if you don't get the response you were hoping for, because you're taking responsibility for your thoughts and actions, and we we want to let go of expectations that the other person will move towards us and uh, expectations are really killers of relationship. They they destroy relationships. So we want to 
loosen our expectations so that we don't have them hanging over our mother or our daughter. Um, and that's just a difficult climate, you know, for a relationship to thrive in. And so um, we, you know, we, we have an example of an imaginary boundary line where, you know, this is, this is my part and this is your part. And you may not like the choices that your mother or daughter or other family member makes, but it's still theirs to own. Blythe McIntosh, our guest, the book Mended. We have another segment with Blythe right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. These are tough times for everyone. So dealing with your timeshare may not be your biggest concern. But when this passes, do you still want a lifetime of payments, fees, and commitments for a timeshare you were misled into buying? Hi, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started the timeshare cancellation industry by exposing the ugly truth about timeshares and giving folks the straight facts. I've been fighting the timeshare giants ever since, so no one knows this industry better than me and my team. Today, we have over 200 employees and have saved our clients an average of $65,000 in lifetime payments. Imagine putting those timeshare dollars back in your pocket. Give my office a call today. I guarantee if we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare contract or you'll pay nothing. Call Wesley Financial now for your free information kit. 800-881-4242. That's 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. Hello. This is Earl Mallory, Director of Sales and Marketing for Alliance Community. Alliance Community, continuing retirement community located in the heart of beautiful downtown DeLand. Our mission is to provide an environment for our residents which allows them to live as independently as they like with guarantees to protect them of the uncertainties of your health care and financial needs. Our community offers independent living, assisted living, rehab services, skilled nursing care, and Alzheimer's dementia care. For more information, visit us online at alliancecommunity.org. We're everywhere you want to be, Central Florida, with the new Word app. Download it today from your device's app store. Join the Word Listener Club, then get ready to stay connected. Listen live wherever you go with the Word app from the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Powered by Karen Eastry, attorney, probate and estate. Check out altamontlaw.com. Take the word with you wherever you go with our mobile app, thewordorlando.com. Alexa, tune in, iHeart, and radio.com. Faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. My guest is Blythe McIntosh. She's in Colorado Springs. Her book is called Mended. And Blythe, we've arrived at topic number five. It's called Forgiveness Finder, Aiming for God and Each Other Over Offense. You know, um, the the piece of this book that we, we hear the most about, Pat, is probably forgiveness. And that's what this chapter really goes into um, that we want to aim for God and each other over the offenses between us. So there are three kinds of forgiveness. There's the first kind is from God. Um, we ask God's forgiveness uh, for the way that we've behaved, the way that we think, all those things. The second part of forgiveness is asking forgiveness um, from a person that you have offended. And then the third piece that is probably the most difficult is to another person that when you have felt offended and they've not ask your forgiveness. And so um, not only does forgiveness restore the relationship between you, but it points to the forgiveness that we've experienced with God. And, you know, any unforgiveness that's in our hearts is toxic for both you and for those around you. And and it really has been shown to um, bring damage into not just your relationship, but other pieces of your home life and your thoughts. And so not to forgive is a lot about power and control and even if your mother or daughter has wounded you and they've never asked for forgiveness, you, you can still be set free. You can forgive them. And um, how we do this is we often encourage people to write a letter um, or even send a message through text or 
uh, email, but just being able to say that God has shown me that I need to release you from this piece of uh, what I'm holding on to and that, you know, you're no longer going to let it control, you know, how you live. And really our ability to forgive determines how we're going to experience life, you know, walking around free uh, rather than with just um, a mentality that we, we have enslaved ourselves to that person. And so, um, you know, we have to remember that sometimes people become blind to their own faults and that there's something in their spirit that isn't hearing you or accepting their participation and hurting you. But, um, but we do have the ability to let, to let that go and to, you know, acknowledge it. It was not to say that it didn't happen, but it's to say that I choose not to let it control me. And so we have a number of verses in this chapter and some conversation starters again about, you know, how do you do this and how, um, what does God say about forgiveness? And so really releasing your mother or daughter from any idea that you hold power over them uh, and forgiving them is, um, is really key here. So, um, it's really important to even to say these words because God has forgiven me, I forgive you. And Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, 21 is a great example of forgiveness. And, you know, we need to line up our hearts with God's heart and extend mercy that we've been shown by God. So, um, I think that forgiveness clears the air, it diffuses built up anger, and it builds a bridge between you. Um, and then the last piece I would say about forgiveness is that it acts as a barrier or a seal over your family, and it really is protection from further hurt, um, and it isn't just an act that we walk through. It is a way of life that we choose, forgiveness, yeah. Topic number six, Blythe. Blythe and Tosh is with us. Words that can bring you back together. What are they? Oh, man, these words are so important, aren't they, that... Um, words of healing and hope. And, uh, you know, some of the, some of the words that we encourage uh, people to say, this is a possible script that you can use with someone that you care about is to say, I want us to have a good or healthy relationship. You know, we do have a problem. I believe we can make repairs. You know, what do you think we need to do to make things better? Uh, so you're putting the goal of reconciliation out there first, um, admitting that there's a problem, and inviting the other person into um, making things better, into restoration. You're really asking for the other person's feedback, and so um, really there's a you know there's just a real need in our culture to recognize that words can bring us back together. Words of um, hope and acknowledging what's been between you, but restoring the relationship because we don't want anything to stand in the way of our communication and um, the love that that is between a mother and a daughter. And so, words have such power over us, and um, that we, you know, there's messages attached to our words um, that can bring a blessing or a judgment. And so, listening and speaking to your mother or daughter affects your relationship. And so we just want to encourage people that words can create a ministry of reconciliation uh, between the two of you. A good example that my mom has used in the book is uh, she calls it the sandwich method. And um, the the top bun is the, the things that you would say before you start your conversation. It's important to ask permission to share your concerns and um, to be able to say, you know, I want us to have a good relationship. That's that top bun. And then the, the hard middle is saying, you know, I do believe that there's some things that we, we don't agree on and that we know that there's um, a problem here or a disagreement, um, but it's my desire for us to be able to talk about it and move closer together. And then the bottom button is that piece of, uh, you know, I know that you want to think about this, but would you tell me what it is that I can do for my part in bringing us closer together? So uh, it's a great reminder that there's different pieces of it. This isn't just throwing all of our thoughts out there at the same time, but it's really being intentional with how you're speaking with each other. And, you know, even a small expression can have an effect and the one who's leading the charge can help, you know, move you towards unity or coming together that even just a few words um, can have the power to open the door for change. So um, sometimes it requires us to say, you know, God, help me see where I'm missing it with my mom or with my daughter, or God, show me where I'm not seeing what I need to see. Um, and, and being humble. I think that's the, the piece that we've got, like, a lot of times mothers and daughters will just come at each other and um, not really listening to the other with a heart of, of taking responsibility for our words. So um, God created us both, and he knows that there's closeness that can be between us, and uh, it is worth pursuing. And as much as it is up to you, don't let anything stand between the words, you know, that have been spoken over you 
and um, beliefs that have settled in you, but we've got to take action and we've got to move towards each other um, to be restored, and that is God's heart. Blythe McIntosh is our guest. Her book is called Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. Uh, Blythe, the chapter called With No Permission Comes No Advice means what? (laughs) So, you know, Pat, maybe you've seen this in your household, um, but oftentimes we will just we will start talking to someone and before we realize that we've realized that we've given them advice without them even ever asking for it. And it feels, um, for those of us on the receiving end, it feels really like, Oh man, I, I should have come up with that on my own. And we, we might even resent the person who's giving advice. And so what this chapter is all about is being mindful of asking permission rather than just launching in with advice. So uh, we know that um, unsolicited advice, especially from a mother to a daughter, is not only unwelcomed, it sometimes feels punishing and invasive. So asking permission before giving advice or feedback is really the key to a relationship that doesn't feel like the other person is too involved in your life. And you're really asking if it's okay to share and some of the, the wording that we have, the conversation starters, is if this feels right and you want to keep it, you know, then great. But if it doesn't feel feel right, then let it go. Um, and you may even say, you know, like, may I make a suggestion? You know, what what do you think about this? Would you like for me to give you some input of what it was like when I was going through that? So it's really about, you know, saying if this is helpful for you, then that's great. And if not, that's okay too. Um, but it's it's being able to openly offer your thoughts without it feeling like you're shoving it onto the other person. And so permission encourages relating versus advice feels more isolating. Um, so if you've hit a point of your conversations are escalating and, you know, things are getting, you know, more difficult between you, then try to bring it into focus by going back to the conversation or the source of frustration and being able to say, may I share some thoughts? You know, may I share a concern? And are you okay with my giving some input? And be be willing to pull back if your mother or daughter says no, or be willing to put the relationship ahead of trying to be seen as a good advice giver. But we want to think of ourselves as a good conversation starter, um, that you can be free to see what's between you and not feel as though you have to fix it. And I think that's a big point for mothers and daughters is that uh, really any relationship that we are we are there to encourage each other and not to try to um, give advice or be the one to uh, come in and make everything better, but, but really ask if it's okay for us to share. Blythe, tell us about resisting the seas, changing and controlling your mother or daughter. Yeah. You know, there are two things that really make it difficult for mothers and daughters to gain ground with each other and to have a healthy relationship, and that is um, often mothers will have this sense of wanting to change or control their daughter. And so, um, and it can work the other way too, but I use an example in the book of how I used to want my children to dress a certain way uh, before going to church and have some stories in there of like how I was trying to change who they were by their personality. And um, and obviously that didn't work very well. They 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 could have resented me. Thankfully, you know, I caught it in enough time. But uh, I think there's just this huge desire that that moms have to try to control and change who their daughters are. And so it's really looking at how are we in relationship? Are we trying to be more controlling? Um, and what do we do if we notice ourselves in that pattern? And one thing that's a, a good thing for mothers and daughters to be able to do is to be able to say, Mom, right now that feels like control. And my mom did that with me uh, when I was a teenager and going off to college. She just said, if this ever, if I ever feel like I'm controlling you, please tell me. And that was such a good line of communication for our relationship because I had the freedom to be able to say, Mom, it feels like you're controlling me right now. And, mm. and I think that that's important for mothers and daughters to recognize. Blythe, tell me where you grew up. Uh, and and uh, some of your earlier life, and what's the story now? Are you uh, are you married? Do you have children? Uh, what's your relationship with your mom like? Yeah, all, so I grew all of the above. Up, <laughs> yeah, I grew up in uh, North Georgia with uh, mom and dad and a brother, and um, went off to college in the south, and, and I moved out to Colorado where, about sixteen where, years ago. Where did you go to college? I went to Auburn. So I'm an Auburn Tiger. Oh, good, good. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, you know, uh, 
going off to college, it, it really did change the dynamics of my relationship with my parents because no longer were we in that close proximity of relationship. And I had already started spreading my wings. My senior year of college didn't really want as much to do with my mom. Uh, wanted to make my own decisions, wanted to be independent. And so, boy, did I get a wake-up call like most students do when they go off to college and uh, realize that their parents are smarter than they thought they were. And um, so we we learned really how to communicate on a deeper level than we ever had when I went off to college and uh, said things to each other that were helpful for us to stay in good communication, such as an example of that I just shared about, you know, do you sense me trying to control your life or control you? And so then as I became a mom, um, so I became a mom about 13 years ago, and I have three children of my own, two girls and a son, and um, I'd say that my relationship with my mom has um, really grown. We, we've, you know, had the difficult talks that moms and daughters do about, you know, how how do you see me? Um, she would ask, how do you see me in your, your life as a, as a grandmother to your children? And, and, you know, there were times when I would say, you know, mom, I don't necessarily want to hear uh, that right now, she would ask me if it's okay to share, and I'd say, not, not necessarily right now. I think I want to figure this out on my own. And so we've navigated those those waters between mothers and daughters, especially as daughters create their own families. And um, but now, you know, through that, we've gotten even closer through going to those hard places. And so we have a good relationship, but it's come through intentional efforts to to be transparent with each other, to be humble with each other, and to work on our relationship. It isn't something that's just happened for us, that we really work on it. And um, so we, I just want to encourage those who are listening that it is possible to have a good relationship, even if you didn't grow up with a good relationship, but it is never too late to be able to restore and to put some of these um, ideas into practice that we're sharing in, in the book. And um, you know, I, I think it's more important than ever that families maintain a clear line of communication and good relationships in these uh, challenging times in our culture that we don't let anything uh, come between us and our relationships and that uh, we really strive to put each other ahead of, ahead of our differences of opinions or ahead of our ideas, but that we focus on what we can do to bring value into relationships. Uh, Blythe, do you like to hear from your readers? Oh, I most certainly do. I do. How do, how do they get a hold of you? And Yeah, you know, we have a, we have a website that's um, created around this book, and it's ourmendedhearts.com, O-U-R, mendedhearts.com. And, of course, we're on Facebook, um, and, uh, you know, Blythe McIntosh Daniel and Helen McIntosh, we're on Facebook as well and Instagram. And so we would love, we would love to hear from people. If this book has encouraged you or you would like to hear more, um, we would certainly love for you to, there are the conversation starters. There's some of those that are on our website that are downloadable for free if you'd like to go there and check those out. So uh, we pray that this will encourage women in their, in their relationships. Blythe McIntosh, author of Mended, has been our guest. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Dr. Patrick St. Germain, D.C. with BurnFatOrlando.com here to remind you that you can lose up to 30 to 40 pounds in 40 days, even from the comfort of your home. It's simple. Call me now and save up to 60% when you schedule an in-office appointment or an on-the-phone consultation. Call me at 855-889-8446. That's 855-889-8446 or at BurnFatOrlando.com. Save money and lose pounds today. Call now at 855-889-8446. As the will of the students goes, so goes the will of the nation. This is the central theme of the new movie, Return to the Hiding Place, a film about Cory Ten Boom and her family's heroic efforts to hide and save Jews from the Nazis during World War II and about her secret army of teenagers. Watch this captivating movie tonight with your older children at SalemNow.com and save 20% with the promo code Orlando. Return to the Hiding Place at SalemNow.com and promo Code Orlando. I'm Michael Easton with Fellowship Financial, and on behalf of our staff at Fellowship Financial and the Retirement Income Show, we want to say we love Orlando and are proud to call Orlando home. We want to give a big shout out to all of our healthcare workers and first responders putting themselves on the front line every day. We really appreciate all that you do to make Orlando safe during this challenging time. And just remember, we're all in this together and we'll be better on the other side. We've got this, Orlando. 
Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. If you miss the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 p.m. Sunday afternoons on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Life McIntosh, uh, our guest in that first segment, enjoyed uh, talking to her. Uh, Lisa Stringer is with us uh, from her home in Houston, Texas. Her new book is out, God Did Not Do This to Me, Finding Hope, Courage, and Faith to Face Our Toughest Challenge. Welcome to Orlando, Florida. Lisa, how are you? I am good, and it is such a pleasure to be with all of my uh, friends out in Florida. Good. Uh, What's the background on this book? Well, we were um, actively doing ministry across the country. My husband uh, speaks a lot, you know, to both uh, the secular and the Christian audience, and we happen to be doing ministry. He has a huge lump in his throat, mm. and too often, I think a lot of us, Pat, you know, we start feeling a little queasy or feel sick, and we tend to ignore it and think. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Life McIntosh, uh, our guest in that first segment, enjoyed uh, talking to her. Uh, Lisa Stringer is with us uh, from her home in Houston, Texas. Her new book is out, God Did Not Do This to Me, Finding Hope, Courage, and Faith to Face Our Toughest Challenge. Welcome to Orlando, Florida. Lisa, how are you? I am good, and it is such a pleasure to be with all of my uh, friends out in Florida. Good. Uh, What's the background on this book? Well, we were um, actively doing ministry across the country. My husband uh, speaks a lot, you know, to both uh, the secular and the Christian audience. And we happen to be doing ministry. He has a huge lump in his throat. Mm. And too often, I think a lot of us, Pat, you know, we start feeling a little queasy or feel sick. And we tend to ignore it and think, well, maybe it'll go away, you know, with a couple of over-the-counter, you know, Uh, aspirin or something of that nature. And that's exactly what happened to us. You know, we were just praying through. Also, as believers, as Christians, we tend to believe that when we pray, you know, we're going to get results. But things don't always work out the way we want. They work out the way they do. And all that to say, uh, we got diagnosed with stage four uh, large B-cell lymphoma, and it was 80% aggressive and moving throughout my husband's body Mm. quickly. So it was uh, a shocker when we received the news. uh, And uh, you can imagine a lot goes through your mind during those times. Well, you open your book uh, with a chapter simply called In the Beginning, uh, and then you follow it up with It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, can you cover those first two chapters for us? Absolutely. Again, we're we're in the process of doing ministry. We're uh, on the East Coast. Doug began to feel um, lethargic a little bit. I noticed he was just a lot more tired, uncomfortable. And what started as uh, him constantly rubbing his throat or touching it, uh, unbeknownst to himself sometimes, you know, a lot of times we, you know, may touch our forehead or rub something, not knowing that we're acknowledging that there's something wrong. Um, I convince him to see a doctor, and we get appointments in to see him. And I'll never forget him being called by the doctor on a Friday afternoon. Uh, and usually, most of us know doctors aren't the ones that call us with results to uh, our exams. Usually, you have an assistant call in and say, hey, can we come in and see you for your results, schedule the appointment? And that's what happens. Uh, short story is the, the uh, doctor called, and uh, he went out to the car to be a bad cell reception in our home. And when I heard him say, yes, doctor, I didn't even give him an option to deny me. I stopped what I was doing in the kitchen, followed him out to his car, and I I saw the stoic look on his face. He wouldn't even turn to see me. Of course, I'm only hearing one side of the conversation, Pat. And uh, I hear him say cancer. And oh my gosh, I felt like I got just sucker punched in the stomach, you know, and and, and uh, all that to say when he did hang up, he just uh, wouldn't acknowledge me eye to eye at that moment. He just said the doctors diagnosed me with cancer. They don't know how aggressive it is yet. We need to go uh, to, to, to have further testing and biopsies. And um, he said, I just need to be alone 
with God for a little bit. So would you just give me that chance? When we finally do uh, see each other eye to eye, tears begin to stream down our face. And I just told him I loved him, and I knew I needed to respect that time alone that he was requesting. He went off for a few hours uh, to speak to God. You can imagine that a lot of times if you get news of that nature, you may need to cry. You may need to question. A lot goes through your mind. And the short of it is he came back home after a few hours and said, God did not do this to me. There's one thing I'm absolutely sure about. He did not do this to me. And if he didn't do this to me, then it doesn't belong to me. And if it doesn't belong to me, it's not going to be about me. We're going to turn this into intercession for our nation. Thus, it being well with my soul. Isn't that an amazing story? Well, it is. And I'll tell you, Lisa, you're ringing a bell with me because 10 years ago, uh, I went through the same experience as your husband. Um, I had uh, symptoms, and the doctor ran tests and then brought me back in uh, with my wife and uh, broke the news, said, you have, mm. you have cancer. And I said, I've got what? Uh, wh- what is it? He said, it's multiple myeloma, which I'd never heard of. It's one of the blood cancers. And um, so that uh, I've been through that battle. And so what you're sh- sharing with me, Lisa... Uh, rings many bells. Um, but fortunately, in the 11th year, I'm doing well, and the doctors don't see any signs of it, and God has been very good. Amen. And that's the beauty of it. I think in so so often perspective is everything. I think to all of us it is a shocker. And in fact, Kat, I often prayed. I mean, I, I prayed just about every day. God, I thank you that disease will never touch my family. I thank you that my family's healthy. And that's where we need to continue to be people that speak life into our lives, into our homes, and into our families. But nonetheless, things happen. And in the midst of these storms, the question is, what's your outlook going to be? What's your perspective going to be? Are you going to look at the cup half full or half empty? And like you, we chose to embrace what happened and try to find the best of it and fight for life. And then at the end of the day, know that we're winners no matter what the outcome is. Lisa Stringer's our guest. Her book is called God Did Not Do This to Me. Uh, The third topic uh, that you write about is simply called This Is How I Fight My Battles. Uh, What is that about? It's about speaking life. Uh, It's about knowing that I have to contend in prayer, that, um, you know, I I was visiting the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., and one of the displays they had there was uh, a simulation of a jail cell, you know, and inside they had some quotes from some people on death row, death row, and he said, uh, one of the inmates said, you know, I had to have hope, and I found it in God, because if you don't have hope, you'll lose your mind in this place, and I can only imagine I can't imagine, in fact, what it would be in that circumstance, but he's right. You have to have hope because there's too many times that we walked into the hospital for our chemo treatment, and I would walk by the corridors, and we would go as an army. It was my husband. My daughter would go and take her guitar, and we would play some worship music and entertain him during the process, and I was with him the entire time, and we had an an army of friends that would come by and visit us, but there were so many people that endured the chemo and the treatments all alone no one by their side. And that was heart-wrenching. So we would actually go spend time with other people if they welcomed us in just to check on them and see how they were doing and encourage each other because you have that common bond just as now I know that we have it, Pat, things that we can speak of that we understand each other in when you walk through a crisis. So how I fought our battles, it's a matter of turning, for us, it was a matter of turning to God, the one who gives us hope, the one who gives us a life, the one that can turn a negative situation into a positive uh, and, and and take you through your 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 unexpected detour with triumph and victory again no matter what the outcome is there is always hope in Christ and there's always joy in Christ and that was uh, how we fought our battles worshiping praying and believing for the best knowing that that we you know ha- we win with Jesus on our side Lisa uh, Lisa uh, uh, topic 4 is simply called stage 4 uh, fill us in on that We uh, didn't know the extent of of the cancer initially, like most people. By the time we actually had a lot of the biopsies done, what started out as a small, uh, if you will, a mini line little lump on Doug's 
throat became probably the size of a small avocado, a huge nodule, a huge growth on his throat. It was a, uh, it looked like a tumor. In reality, it was swollen, cancerous lymph nodes. We go in uh, after numerous biopsies and CT scans and whatnot, and we're, you know, aware he has cancer, but never were we expecting to hear stage four. And, you know, when the doctor pulled out the CT scan and showed uh, showed his from his neck down to his abdomen area was just lit up. It was completely orange and like a bright sun. And he said, well, all of this here is your body riddled with cancer. And we thought, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, you can imagine trying to fight back the tears to be strong for your spouse because he doesn't want to cry in front of me and I don't want to cry in front of him, not because we're scared to cry, but because we want to be strong for each other. And when the doctor says you have stage 4 cancer, because you're unfamiliar with cancer, too often you think, man, there's no turning back from stage 4. It's going to literally take a miracle to beat this. Um, but God, you know, who can do those miracles. And it was just a, a, a shocker. It was something that we had to embrace and understand and know that, you know what, this is just more of an opportunity for, for God to triumph and show himself victorious. Uh, my guest is Lisa Stringer. She's in Houston. Uh, the name of the book, God Did Not Do This To Me. Uh, we've got another segment with Lisa. Uh, stay with us. Just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Lisa Stringer is the author of God Did Not Do This to Me. Uh, She is with us. And Lisa, we've arrived now at topic number five, and you simply call it Through the Storm. Uh, tell us about this. Through the Storm is, um, in, in many for many patients, you have a need for pick lines to be placed in the body or ports so that chemo can be infused because your veins become so weakened and stripped as they continue to infuse these uh, very strong chemicals to kill the cancer. So uh, oftentimes, I think at least our circumstance was that you had to sign all these waivers that say, hey, I know you're fighting for cancer, but with this port and with this pick line that comes in, because it's a direct line to one of your veins that drops into the heart where the chemo is infused in that vicinity and in that area, there's always danger. So there's a risk of a heart attack. You know, you often watch uh, television or you hear, you know, on the radio commercials sometimes where they promote a new medicine. And then all of a sudden at the end, but it may cause and they just speed talk through all of the the, the what if could happen to you. Makes you almost want to not take the medicine because you wonder, my gosh, there's more negative than positive. That was through the storm. You know, we we have to remember that our circumstances don't change who God is, but God can change our our circumstances. And he's more than able in his perfect way, in his perfect timing, to take care of you through the storm. So the storms kept coming. It was, you'd get hit with one surprise after another. Uh, The Storms. We had some natural storms that literally hit Houston. We had um, hurricane weather and uh, other weather that was just tearing and ripping through the city. And in the midst of that, we were going through these trials at the hospital. And so it was just a matter of saying, look, through the storm, I'm going to keep praising you. I am going to have my moments of breaking down and crying, but I'm not going to stay parked there. I'm going to pray, believe, get infused with good friends, Pat. I think you probably recall during your journey, there's nothing like having some amazing family members or friends that can just encourage you when you do have those moments of having to battle and thinking, I've got nothing left in me but God and but the encouragement of the people. Lisa, um, our life message grows. That's your next point. Yes, our life message grows. As I said early at the beginning of the interview, we have um, a, a national ministry and really a worldwide ministry. So we had an opportunity to really engage people from all over the world. We chose not to keep our circumstance private. We really felt that the only way we were going to win this battle was on our knees uh, through obedience of the protocols that the doctors had and, of course, through a team of people praying. So our life message grows basically resounds the fact that people all over the world began to inquire, listen, watch, monitor what we were doing, just like you have an audience. As you speak to them, it continues to grow, and people become fascinated with all these stories of all these people that you're able to bring onto the program, and and, and, and your ministry opportunities for your program's growing. Likewise, for us, we had 
just an incredible expansion of people that would email us and reach out to us from all over the world that were constantly encouraging us and in some cases even sending financial gifts to help us with medical bills and that was amazing that that you would have a small church or a small uh, a ministry in another part of the world that would send us $25 faithfully for a year every month knowing that they were giving us their widow's might to help us with you know outstanding bills that we have unsolicited by the way so you saw God's provision in hand. I want to say that now that we've overcome and now that we're through this, we are very uh, good about making sure that we do the same thing and extend a loving hand to others because we want to make sure that we provide a harvest as God sowed into us through many people. Uh, uh, Lisa Stringer is with us. Lisa, better good days. What's that mean? Better good days. You know, do you you ever have a bad day, Pat? (laughs) I I have, but I I try not to. Yeah, I get you. But every once in a while, we we get those. And so Doug's outlook on life was always, look, man, this is not easy. There's days that are hard, but I refuse to give the enemy any ground and make him think he's winning, even if my body feels like it's being tortured or hurt or, or exhausted. So he said, every day is a good day because we serve a great God. So some days are better good days. And that's where that came from. I was amazed at his perspective and his outlook. He was always positive. And I can totally walk in what he just said, you know, when he told me the first time, he said, every day is a good day because we serve a great God. The day that you wake up and you have life, it doesn't matter what you see coming at you, look at it as a good day, except that on some days you have better good days. Pat, I just try to remember that all the time now, even when things are just shaky or crazy. And remember, you know what? Today's a good day, no matter what I'm going through. Uh, Tell us about the friend factor. The friend factor. I think everybody needs a friend. Um, the first and foremost, you know, finding a friend in, in God, knowing that he is your father, uh, he is your Abba, he can be your friend, he can be your way maker, he can be your peacemaker. But but in the natural, it's always good to have somebody you can bounce something off of. I had friends that just were there for me to hold my hand, that were there to sit with us through the hospital stays, uh, that provided food for us, that loved us. And one, in fact, created a what is called a pillow of peace. She wrote all these scriptures on these pillows, and she presented it to us, and it was such a beautiful gift that that particular gift, we ended up embracing ourselves and passed out hundreds of pillows during our journey. So what we would do is invite friends over, we would pray over these pillows, write scriptures on them, and we would give them to other patients so that they could be lying on and resting their head on the Word of God, or when they were stressed out, they could look at these pillows and see these encouraging scriptures on them. That was part of the friend factor. Everybody needs a good friend, and uh, we were blessed to have many of them. Lisa, I'm eager to hear about this topic. Doug runs the Rocky Steps. That was exciting, Mr. Pat. Uh, we were in Philadelphia ministering, and we, as we were driving it, you know, through the city over the bridge, you could see uh, the, the Museum of Art where Rocky, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky in the movie, ran the Rocky, you know, the, the, what's now known as the Rocky Steps. And he put his arms up, you know, with that stance with his two uh, arms in the air, and you saw his huge biceps. Well, Doug said, you know, I'm going to run the Rocky Steps. And the day that, that we were going to leave Philadelphia after we had completed our mission there, he said, you know, I think I'm tired. I don't feel good. I'm not going to run the steps anymore. And I said, Doug, you've taught me that you're committed to what you confess. You said you were going to do this. Now you're going to do it. So he put on his his uh, workout clothes right before we had to leave to the airport. And we went to the uh, flag of the nations and he begins to run. And all of a sudden, his stamina was just incredible. He was full of life. He began to run through the, run through the flag of the nations and began to intercede for the nations, just saying, God, would you just please touch the nations of the world? He um, ran up the rocky steps. He was so excited. He did it twice. And he just, you know, started quoting scripture as he, as he got to the top. And he says, you know, God is for me and not against me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it was such a beautiful moment as his spouse to see this man who had a pick line in his arm, who had been enduring some tremendous chemo treatments and and just continued to press in to see him as my Rocky Balboa, to see him as my champion up at the top of the stairs completing a mission. And 
to end this part of the story, the day after we flew back to Houston, uh, we had a CT scan, and then the doctors called him in. We were midway through our chemo treatments. You can imagine the joy we had when we, we were called in, and he said, you know, I can't explain this because we're only halfway through your treatments, but there is no evidence of disease in your body. Mm. And I called Doug to saying, well, then do I, I don't have to take any more chemo because who wants chemo with all the side effects? And the doctor said, no, just like anything else, you have to finish the protocol. But just the day before prophetically or two days before prophetically, Doug had ran the Rocky Steps saying his, he had found his healing in Christ. Again, he had found what he wanted in Christ, the strength he needed. And there uh, we got the good news, just like, you know, Rocky did uh, in one of the movies where he had cancer. He had won. He had won the battle. Elisa, how about this chapter? I'm not your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a good one? I think you'll be able to relate to this one possibly. I personally, when my husband had cancer, I I was adamant about fighting for his life. You know, God, your will be done, but I'm going to do everything in the natural to have my husband live. Well, I, I began to read, and the more I read, I believed that there was something to a diet change. You know, they say sugar feeds cancer cells. I began to do research on alkaline water, drinking high alkaline water because uh, cancer and, uh, you know, it can't survive in, in, in a low acidity environment. And so I was very, very particular about making sure that Doug ate well. Well, one day he had gone to the pantry and found some potato chips that I'd bought for my mother, and he just began to eat them and enjoy them, and he was just all over that bag of potato chips. And I remember walking into his room and saying, Doug, you can't do this. You cannot be doing this. And I think he was having a not-so-good-better-good day. He was just having a, a good day. And he said, you know, and he told, said with a stern voice, you are not my, my mother, you're my wife. Mm. And he was hurt. He was trying to tell me, don't tell me what I can eat and what I could do. And I remember just sitting at his feet because I, I had been sitting on the floor, and uh, I just wanted to cry. But I couldn't do anything about it, and I didn't want to cry because I wasn't him who was enduring the strict po- protocol and all the gross test things I was making him eat and drink to stay healthy. And it hurt. It hurt badly. But I also knew that I wasn't his mother. I was his wife. And I remember telling him, eventually, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be your mother, Doug. I'm just your loving wife who's trying to fight for your life. I want you around. All right, Lisa. Now uh, we've got to move to the next topic. It's called sowing and reaping, uh, which means what? Sowing and reaping is, um, you know, in friendships, uh, in in your personal life, in finances, in in uh, in every way possible that we would give of ourselves. This is a tremendous story. Doug had given uh, many, many, I think, in fact, it was a little over 20 years prior to that. Doug had 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 a big altar call and a service at a church, and there was a big revival. In fact, it wasn't a church. It was a big revival that had been taking place in Houston, and some people had sewed of their jewelry. And there were some missionaries that had come in from Mexico, from America, and they were um, looking, you know, eventually she wanted to buy some, some type of heirloom to give to her daughter. Uh, when she got married and she got older. The short is that she ended up receiving from Doug a bracelet um, that Doug said, do whatever it, you know, you'd like to do with this bracelet if you'd like to sew it and, you know, steward your ministry or whatnot. She ended up keeping this particular bracelet so she'd have something to give to her daughter when she got married. It turns out that um, a young man had been called to fast and pray for Doug for 40 days, and he did strictly a liquid diet, if I understand correctly, and the fiancé that he was marrying turned out to be, unbeknownst to us, the very young girl that received the bracelet that Doug had given to this missionary. She was the daughter of these missionaries. So you never know when you do a good deed when it's going to pay back, and it doesn't matter if it ever pays back, but the fact that he had done something so beautiful by just sowing a seed, and here, the very seed he sowed would be the daughter, would be the future bride of a young man that God spoke to to say, I want you to pray for Doug as a spiritual father, that, that no more spiritual fathers would be lost because he himself had last, lost his own father to cancer at, at 18 years of age. Lisa, your last chapter is called Journey On. I, I, want, to hear Journey- about, I want to hear about this. 
journey on is where we finally are told um, you're cancer-free. Uh, you, you know, you'll only come in every six months, of which, by the way, Pat, we're now five years, uh, and December will be five years cancer-free, and now part of the survivors group that you are so blessed to be a part of as well. Journey on is all about perspective. Um, you know, we, we were told at one point that we were going to need $1,000 a month because our particular medical insurance did not cover prescriptions. So the nausea pill would cost us $1,000 a month. Well, when you're going files like this, most of us don't have $1,000 for medication. And I remember crying out to God saying, God, how on earth are we going to make this? Well, miracles don't always come the way you think they will. What happened in our case is that Doug ended up not needing the medication. Therefore, we ended up not needing to spend $1,000. I think during the entire six months of chemo uh, that he was having chemo infused, we only took, I say we because I feel like it's a we journey, but it was only a, I think, five pills in its entirety. So we didn't even go through one month's dose. Of, of medication. Journey on is a matter of saying, God, I thank you for everything that you've done, that you've given us the grace through all circumstance, you know, that comes our way, that you're giving us the ability to move on. And no matter how bad a situation may seem, God is more than able to take your mess and turn it around. If you press in and hold on to the one who will never leave you and never forsake you, journeying on is saying, I'm going to live life to the fullness and I'm not going to let go of what uh, the blessing of life is. And I'm not going to let go of your hand thought as you saw me through this all ladies and gentlemen our guest has been lisa stringer lisa a million thanks terrific time with you thank you pat it's been such a pleasure and an honor and i pray blessings over you all god did not do this to me the name of the book uh we'll be back next weekend but first we've got a wrap up right here on the pat williams saturday power hour uh, we'll be right back more of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Burn Fat Orlando is open to help you during this crazy time. The CDC says those at greatest risk in today's world are those that are overweight, have high blood pressure, and or diabetes. Burn Fat Orlando helps you regain your health, losing up to 30 to 40 pounds in 40 days. Burn Fat Orlando is now offering phone appointments so you can do the program from the safety of your own home. Call Burn Fat Orlando now to find out why we're the only program that guarantees weight loss or your money back. For the most savings, call 855-889-8446. That's 855-889-8446 or at burnfatorlando.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, we've had two lovely guests. First of all, Blythe McIntosh joined us, uh, followed by Lisa Stringer uh, talking about her book, God... Did not do this to me. Um, you can help us, folks. We're uh, trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And uh, the best way you can help <clears throat> is to go up to the website, uh, orlandodreamers.com. Orlandodreamers.com. And just uh, leave a note. Good idea. We think this would be great. Uh, I'd even have some interest in season tickets perhaps down the line. So just head to that website, orlandodreamers.com, and, and, and fill it in. In the meantime, uh, make sure you wear that face mask, folks. Everything I'm hearing is those face masks are effective. And the other thing that I have learned is wash your hands. That's where these germs tend to land. So uh, uh, numbers of times a day, make sure you wash your hands with warm water and soap. Okay, uh, back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.